Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag on the Smart Money Mamas show. I'll be answering questions directly from listeners like you. Today, we're discussing prioritizing your money goals, real estate, the Mamas Talk Money Summit, and so much more. For an overview of this month's questions and to grab your free ticket to the upcoming Mamas Talk Money Summit, which is happening October 12th through the 16th, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 71. As one final reminder, for these mailbag episodes, we source questions from our free Mamas Talk Money community on Facebook, which we'd love to have you join, and our voicemail, where you can leave me an audio message at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail. So if you have a question you'd love to hear us tackle, head to one of those places and submit your questions for next month. All right, all right. It's time to get started and to bring on my good friend, Lauren. Lauren, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you? I'm good. Things are so busy in prep for the summit. I feel like we just are at our computers all the time. I know. I was like, I want to say I'm so excited about the summit, but I'm in that phase where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I will warn everyone that my boys are not on board for being quiet today. So if you hear them in the background, they're just being toddlers. That's the day. (laughs) Hey, that's what it's like around here. Totally. All right. So mamas, Lauren and I were organizing the questions for this month's mailbag and noticed something kind of fun. Multiple mamas were asking what at its core were really the same questions, just from different stages in their money journeys. I actually love when this happens because it's a sign that so much of thriving at each stage is really about mastering the same set of skills and continuing to be true to what you want. So we're going to answer all three of the similar questions, but I want everyone listening to pay attention to what's consistent across them and how it might play into your own money journey. What do you think, Lauren? Are we ready? I am so ready. (laughs) (laughs) I am always ready. (laughs) This uh, first question is from Nicole. She asks, how do you balance and decide on money goals? Should I front load my daughter's 529 or invest in stocks for my midterm to long-term goals or use the money for home improvements? (laughs) And it was great when she asked that question, another mom friend, Sonia, jumped in and said, how do we tell our brains, hey, I know you want to be able to pay for the kids' college, but your retirement plan needs to happen first. This is such a great question, but I have to mention first, I think I mentioned this, Lauren, when we first read it, was that one of these three options Nicole brings up are not like the other two. (laughs) And so... One one is not like the others. (laughs) One is not like the others. And so front-loading your daughter's 529, Nicole, good long-term investment choice. Investing in stocks for midterm to long-term goals, great long-term investing choice. Home improvements, this is really about your own joy and current love of your house and enjoyment of your house. And that's a great thing, but it's not really an investment choice. And so we're actually going to link an article in the show notes to this episode where we did a whole post about how to decide if home improvements make sense to you. Very, very few home improvements, unless you're doing a complete like house flip where you're taking a house from kind of destroyed to pretty again, actually gets you good ROI. You're going to get a portion of that money that you put in returned to you in the in the selling price of your house, but not all of it and not some huge gain. And so it's good to not think about home improvements as a big investment in your house. It might be a way to maintain the value of your house, but not necessarily a big investment. Does that make sense, Lauren? 
It does. And actually, when you said one isn't like the other, I knew which one you meant, obviously. (laughs) But I was thinking back to the days when I worked in real estate and I was like, there are things they would tell you to do to up the value of your house. But I love the last thing that you said. Think of it as a way to maintain your value instead of increase your value because that is very, very true. And there are things, right? So it's actually really interesting when you talk about what real estate agents will tell you to do. So repainting or especially like repainting the trim. These are things that are not super expensive and actually can get you positive ROI because people love to see clean, fresh, and that's easy. When you're talking about a $10,000 kitchen renovation, you're not necessarily going to get that back. You might get a little bit more. Your house might sell faster. There's like some other things that go into play there. But the idea that like you have a $300,000 house, you put $10,000 into the kitchen, and now you have a $350,000 house, that's not really a thing that happens in the vast majority of cases. So we'll link that article. But for Nicole and for Sonia here, let's talk about balancing some of these money choices. And so the fact that Nicole is talking about her daughter's 529 or midterm to long-term goals, I'm going to make the assumption here, Nicole, that you're already saving enough for retirement that you want to set aside, which is actually kind of what Sonia is mentioning is like, maybe if you're not saving enough for retirement, how do we think about college? But after that choice, right? So retirement comes first. And the reason for that is, you don't have any other options when it comes to retirement, right? If you want to pay for your kid's college, you could help them apply for scholarships. You could do financial aid. You could have them take out some student loans. There are a lot of different ways that you could pay for college. They could go to community college for two years and transfer into a four-year institution. With retirement, you don't have those choices. You You either have the money or you don't when you get to that point. And so when we think about generational wealth and long-term impact on our kids, Maybe we sacrifice retirement to save for their college, but that might mean in retirement we are reliant on them. And so it cycles back around that like we help them in the near term, but we don't necessarily help them in the long term. So prioritize retirement first. After that, this is thinking about what you want your life to look like and what goals you would be sad if you don't achieve, right? So if you're thinking about midterm to long-term goals, maybe that's moving into a new house, upgrading your house. Maybe that's being able to take a sabbatical for two years and travel with your kids before they graduate high school, some things like that. How would you feel if those things didn't happen versus not being able to pay for your daughter's 529, pay for your daughter's college? And maybe you split those goals. Maybe some money goes to the 529 and some goes to those medium to long-term goals. Unfortunately, there's no clear answer here because part of this, especially when it comes to 529s, Every parent's idea of what kids should pay and what the parents should pay in your relationship with student loans, that's a really, really personal thing. Lauren, did you have student loans? Oh, yes. I still have student loans. (laughs) What I always try to look at it as is I couldn't have gone. I had a lot of scholarships, but I wouldn't have been able to cover it all. I worked full time in college, but a lot of my student loans went to enhancing my college experience Mm -hmm. because I I went for film and digital media like there was a lot of gear and equipment and all that stuff and then I did some really cool like extra learning programs so to me now it is all still very worth it but I would never actually advise Ainsley to do what I did (laughs) my student loans and be carrying that around and that is the piece that I I wish that I had just just the knowledge to know like what all those choices were going to mean later in life absolutely and so actually this brings up a really good point Lauren when we think about paying for our kids college we all carry our own baggage related to that right whether our parents paid for our school so my I was very lucky my parents paid for me to go to school so I didn't have student loans 
and thinking that maybe we owe that to our kids. Or some people have student loans and they think that it forced them to learn good money habits right after school and they want their kids to have that skin in the game and to learn that lesson, even if it's not some massive amount of student loans, but they want them to have a little bit of skin in the game. And so this is a choice, Nicole and Sonia, that is more personal to you. And I would think sit down, revisit what your long-term goals are, what you really want to achieve, and then split your money that way. If you're taking care of retirement, if you're taking care of your high-yield debt, now this is really this is really up to you. Absolutely. All right, cool. Let's go to our next question. Next one is from Amanda. She has hit a big goal and has a next step question. She asks, my husband and I have technically hit our Coast Fine number Woo-hoo. and- lots of cheering and I'm I'm weighing our options between leaving the money in our 401k and IRA to just coast until we retire without putting additional money in them or instead taking that contribution amount we would put in monthly and add it to our other investment account to potentially pad us if we want to retire before 65 mistake or no okay so first off let's talk about what coast fi is Lauren do you know what coast fi is I do. (laughs) I was going to tell you to tell everyone because I didn't know until I met you. (laughs) Okay. So Coast Fi, first of all, Fi stands for financial independence. Coast Fi means that you have saved enough in retirement that if you don't put another penny away from now until your retirement age or whatever your target retirement age is, you will have enough to retire. You've front loaded your retirement savings. It's an amazing thing for many reasons. One, right, you get more of that compound growth, and so you actually have to save fewer dollars because you have more years for that money to grow. And when you talk about putting that 15, 20, 25% away towards retirement, you don't have to do that anymore. And so now you have so much more of your income that you get to make choices about, which is exactly what Amanda is asking right now. So Amanda, you could keep putting all the money into a 401k and IRA. There are plenty of people who are coast fi that will continue to do that. I would at bare minimum, make sure you're putting enough in that 401k to get that match. We never say no to free money. We like free money. (laughs) Always take free money. Always take free money. So make sure you match that 401k. Then after that, it's really the choice of whether or not you think you really want to retire before 65 and you want to make sure that you have that money there. There's two ways you could do that. One you mentioned, which is just putting money in a traditional investment account. And so back when I was at my old job, when we would we would actually max our retirement accounts and then we'd put money in a traditional investment account for that reason. We wanted some wiggle room if we needed it when we left. But you do have one other option and it's called a backdoor Roth conversion. And so I'm going to explain this as quickly as possible, and then we'll link an article to it in the show notes. We've actually mentioned this in a few mailbags, I think, Lauren. It comes we have. Up. This seems to come up a lot. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, a traditional IRA or any traditional retirement account, you can't take money out until you're 59 and a half. And if you take it out before that, you pay a penalty. You pay income taxes on the withdrawals, and you pay a 10% penalty for taking it out early. With a Roth account, Roth IRA, you do not pay a penalty if you take it out before 59 and a half and it's principal. So let's say you put in $5,000, it grew to $7,000. You could take your original $5,000 back out, no penalty. You have to leave the $2,000 alone, but you can take the $5,000 out, no penalty. What a backdoor Roth conversion is, is you take the money in your traditional IRA and you move some of it into a Roth IRA. This has no income limitations. This is a big loophole, and it's why a lot of the finance people think it's like the most magical thing in the world. So let's say you take you have $20,000 in an IRA. In a traditional IRA, you move it to a Roth IRA. 
in the year you make that transition, you have to pay income tax on that money that you moved into a Roth IRA. So you have to pay income tax that could be up to 35%, whatever your tax bracket is. But you're going to pay income tax on that money. Now, you have to have the cash to pay that income tax because you can't pay it out of your Roth, right? So you make sure you're planning that you have enough cash to pay that income tax. That money has to stay there for five years, okay? It stays in your Roth. And then that $20,000 counts as principal. You can take it out whenever you want. And so for lots of people who are planning to potentially retire early, what they'll start doing is called a Roth conversion ladder. And so they have $100,000 in their IRA, and every year for five years, they move $20,000 in, they pay the income tax on that $20,000. And five years later, now they can access $20,000 of that money. The next year, another $20,000, right? And so that they have some wiggle room and they get all the tax benefits of a Roth, right? Because if they don't retire early... It stays in that Roth compounding and growing, and you don't owe capital gains tax or income tax when you withdraw it, right? So it's actually a a fancy method. It requires paying close attention to your accounting, right? Making sure you're preparing to pay that tax, but that is your other option. So keep saving. I would keep saving, but also build in to have a little bit of celebration of you have hit a big goal, right? You have hit Coast Fi. And for a lot of people, That required some scrimping to get there, right? Some like really paying attention. And so start, give yourself permission to do some things for fun now. Don't keep putting away, you know, the max amount and sacrificing the current life because we never know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to get to 65, 75, 85. And so if you're already Coast Fi, you're still putting money away, also build in a little bit of fun. But yes, I would either research a backdoor Roth if that's something you're interested in or save a little bit of money in a traditional investment account to give yourself options if you want to retire before 65, because with the assets that you have, you may really want to do that, or you might just want to leave and start a business or or really just make a big change. So Lauren, what do you think about this choice? I, (laughs) as usual, I'm like, great, great, great. I'm kind of glazing over and I so need an accountant. (laughs) Those are all my thoughts in a row. And this is where... We're optimizing at this Mm -hmm. level, right? You've done all the right things, Amanda, and now you're trying to figure out how do we make the best kind of marginal choices? And that's why I think like there's no wrong option here. If you want to put your money in a traditional investment account, not worry about the tax complications and just give yourself some options, awesome, go do that. If you want to research a backdoor Roth that seems interesting to you or at least something that might be beneficial, then do that. But this is, you've done the right things. You've already prepared for retirement. You're already probably financially secure in other ways. And so now figure out what you want to do and do that. And try not to get too caught up in worrying about over-optimizing. That's great advice. When I read her question, I was like, yeah, why wouldn't you want to retire early? Like, <laughs> that's that's what you would do. And I'm like, wait, wait, there's probably a real like sensible answer to this. <laughs> But that's, I mean, I think giving yourself that option to retire early. And so that's something to remember, too, is that if you just want to keep saving in traditional accounts and not worrying about it, if you start to feel that nudge to go do something else, that backdoor Roth conversion takes five years, right? So if you get to age 40, 45, and you're thinking, hey, I might want to retire at 50, then you can start that conversion ladder then. And you can still retire by 50. You'll have to wait that five years to make sure you have access to some of your money, But you do have choices. None of the things that you decide at this point in your journey or any part in your journey can't be fixed, right? We can always fix financial mistakes as much as we would like to not make them. 
So yeah, just keep deciding whatever works best for you at that point. And congratulations again on Coastify. That's such an awesome goal and such a huge stress reliever. Seriously, we are all cheering for you. The next question, this one's kind of long, but it'll be helpful. This one is from Leanne. She says, what do I do after I finish paying off debt except my mortgage? I'm on track to be debt-free the first part of next year, and I'm unsure what to do from there. We already max out a 401k at work and a Roth IRA, and we have sinking funds as well as six to 24 months emergency fund. I have three income sources, so it depends on if I lose all three or just one or two of those. What's next? A brokerage account increase my emergency funds to a year. I'm a single mom by choice of two kids, so no other parent helping with kids financially or otherwise. If they go to college, tuition is very likely covered already, but they would need living expenses and books and things. A 529 for these or just a brokerage account? I'd like to reduce my hours at work in the next two to three years from 40 to 30 and can live off the decreased income just fine with still some room for savings just less wiggle room than at 40 hours. Maybe I'd open up a private practice on the side for five to 10 hours a week, but it would be more flexible than my employee job. I eventually hope to reach five so I don't have to work if I don't want to. How does one find a balance between using money for projects and things now, (laughs) like (laughs) house projects, travel, family activities, and saving for five? There are so many things to unpack here, (laughs) Leanne. I am excited to dive into this. So first of all, Congratulations on the debt goal. I know you're not going to be fully there until the first part of next year, but that's a great milestone. Now, I want to note, this is something we've talked about a bunch of times on the podcast and that we'll continue to talk about. Debt freedom is not a goal. It is a post along the journey, right? It is something that we are going to pursue greater wealth, greater lifestyle, whatever we're looking to do. But when we set too often debt freedom as the goal, we do reach this point where Leanne is at of like, well, now what? What do I do? And so really having a clear vision of why you want to be debt-free, what you want your life to look like. And it sounds like Leanne has some of this, right, with wanting to cut her hours back at work, eventually get to FI. But now we're asking questions about like, okay, how do we reach that FI point, right, Lauren? Yeah, she's at a great place, actually, because usually the breakdown is like, I had this big thing to fight and now I don't. And I don't want to fall back in these old habits, but she's already like coming up with some of the things that she wants to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we already maxed out 401k at work and Roth IRA. Awesome. Check. We're saving for retirement. We have sinking funds as well as six to 24 months of emergency fund. Now, so this is actually a really interesting point and I love this. So she has three sources of income and it really depends on if she loses all three or just one to two. The like, this is why multiple streams of income are beautiful mamas. They're so good because the likelihood that you, you lose all three streams of income at once, particularly if each of them is slightly different, is pretty de minimis. And so I actually think that Leanne already has an excellent emergency fund, both with multiple streams of income and the cash she has set aside. Right, Lauren? Absolutely. Okay. So what comes next? We're going to come back to, like we said, the first two questions, figuring out what you want and what security and happiness looks like for you. Wanting to reduce your hours at work and thinking about FI. Maybe for you that means saving as much as humanly possible over the next couple of years, putting money in a traditional investment account, putting a little bit of money aside for your kid's college. Um, I know you said it's likely already paid, but maybe for those books and things, so that when you have less wiggle room, you're not worried about trying to save. Maybe you've already reached Coast FI, 
like Amanda has. And so now you don't have to worry about saving for retirement if you don't want to. You are already coasting. You're where you want to be. And then if you open up a private practice, that money can be flagged to just get you to from coast fi to full fi so that you don't have to work if you don't want to. That's an option. But in all of this, I want to get to your last point, which is how do we find a balance between using money for projects and things now and saving for fi? We've already answered this a little bit with Amanda's question. You are doing incredible things, Leanne, especially as a single mom to two kids. It sounds like you're crushing it. So make sure you're building in those things that matter to you and go back to the drawing board with your family money values. Download that worksheet. We'll link it in the show notes and really define what brings joy and happiness to your family. What memories do you want to have with your kids before they go off to college, before they move out? And how can you prioritize that in your budget and make that about creating the family that you want in addition to this future that you're striving for? Because that future thing is amazing, but reaching phi leaving your job, that doesn't magically make everything better. I think sometimes we set this goal of like, well, if we just had enough money that we didn't need to work anymore, everything would be magical and perfect and we wouldn't have any more problems. But if we can't get happy with who we are and how we're spending our lives now, FI is not going to make that any different. So get clear on what makes you happy, what is bringing you and your kids joy and build that in now. And maybe over time, as you get closer to FI, you build more and more of that in. But give yourself permission to have these family activities, these travels, and budget for it and enjoy it when you go. Don't make saving the only thing that is a good money choice. What do you think, Lauren? I am just so darn impressed (laughs) with her. (laughs) I'm with you. I was reading through that, and I was just like... Every time we do one of these Q&As, I'm like, I have so much work to do. So much. (laughs) Like, I'm just constantly in awe of all the mamas in our community. I am too. They really are doing big, amazing things. If you're listening and you think the same thing when you hear this, right, maybe you're not at some of these points that some of the mamas we're talking to today are at. Remember that they didn't start there, right? Leanne is at the end of a debt payoff journey. Amanda has reached Coast Five, but she didn't start there. And so look at it as, as a way of like, hey, this could be the question I'm asking in three or four years if I start to get a handle on things and really use it as a source of inspiration because these women are doing really amazing things while being awesome mamas, and I love that. That was actually more what I was thinking. It was just like, this is the most lovely thing about finding your people is I can listen to these stories, even doing what I do and working with you every day. Like some of these things I know, and you have told me a million times, but being (laughs) surrounded by these kind of people in this community just makes me be like, okay, like stop being an idiot and go do what you need to do. It's actually my favorite part of the Mama's Talk Money Summit is getting all these women in one place, particularly in the Facebook group and in the chats of the different talks Mm -hmm. and seeing everybody interact and use each other as encouragement and inspiration. It's just so fun. It's like a big energy boost every single year. It really is. (laughs) Now, before we take a break, um, we're going to take a word from our sponsors in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to tie back the thread of these three questions, because I mentioned at the beginning that they're really all asking the same question. And that question is, how do I prioritize how I use my money? And fortunately or unfortunately, there's no one right answer to that question. This is about getting clear on what matters to you, on your values, on what you want to achieve in your lifetime, and then consistently aligning your money choices with that in mind. You know, that comes from debt freedom. We're saying like, hey, I want this end result, and that requires that I be debt free. And now that I'm debt-free, I need to do this thing. And keeping that 
your focus instead of looking to anybody else to tell you exactly what you're supposed to do with your money because this is a unique personal choice. And so trust yourself, trust what your core desires are. And that requires practice too, shedding what we're supposed to do, the expectations, giving ourselves permission to spend money on ourselves, to find ourselves worthy. This all takes practice. But that's a skill that if you can get really clear on your values, you can get really clear on your goals, all these money choices, they get easier because you know you have your guiding light. And so wherever you are in your journey, revisit that guiding light and make sure you're really clear on what it is and always make your money choices around that. Does that make sense, Lauren? It does. I'm getting all like feels over here. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you have to listen to me talk so often and I can still give you feels is like a a big proud moment for me. This is why I love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) So we have some more awesome questions to answer, but before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Are you ready for the money event of the year? Our free Mamas Talk Money Summit featuring over 40 of the best women in personal finance and business is happening October 12th through the 16th. We're going all out this year. We'll have live Q&A with speakers, thousands of dollars in giveaways, worksheets to help you take action on everything you learn, and so much more. We're going to be talking about everything from mindset and budgeting to finding passion-driven work and building generational wealth. Oh, and did I mention it's completely free? Grab your ticket now at mamastalkmoney.com and come talk money with us. Okay, our next question comes from Christy, who says, I've been wanting to ask about REITs. We live in a very high cost of living area, Metro DC, and owning real estate is going to be very long term for us. So I wondered if this would be a way to diversify. Is it worth it? Can it or should it be done within a retirement account or something else? Is there anything else to know? Oh, good question, Christy. So for those who don't know, REITs are real estate investment trusts, and they're basically a big pool of real estate investments that all are managed together by one fund manager, and they have to pay out a minimum of, I think, 90% of taxable income profit from the REITs to shareholders of the REIT. So they pay bigger they're not actually called dividends, but they're, I'm going to forget what the word is for them, but it's basically a dividend. I don't know where that word went in my brain. It'll come back in a second. Distributions. They have to pay distributions every year up to a 90% of their taxable income. So they're pretty good cash flow assets. And they do typically match commercial real estate pretty well. They're volatile because commercial real estate is volatile along with market cycles. But their returns typically actually match pretty close to the S&P over the long term. So they tend to be pretty good investments. They are risky, just like stocks are risky. The one thing that I want to keep in mind is that when you go and look up, like, what is the performance of a REIT? How do I diversify with a REIT? They're going to tell you something of like, okay, over the last 50, 60 years, REITs have been slightly less growth than the stock market. So they're a good way to diversify, still high returns, higher than bonds. What they forget to tell you sometimes is that those distributions are taxed differently than capital gains in the stock market or dividends. So because of the way a REIT is formed, they're taxed as ordinary income. So when you think about capital gains, that might be 0% depending on your income level, 10%, 15%. This could be up to 35, 36% tax um, so that while the return is about the same as the stock market, the tax-adjusted return is lower because you get this pull this yield, you have to pay higher taxes on the returns. Everybody nodding with me? 
I'm talking crazy talk again. Okay. So slightly lower returns. But your question, Christy, is a really good one of can, should it be done within a retirement account or something else? This is the loophole. This is where it's important to know where you're putting your investments. And when you start to really optimize your investments longer term, if you put the REITs in a retirement account that are tax deferred, right? So you're not paying ordinary income on those every single year, that money is growing without that tax pullback. And so your returns are actually going to be higher overall in a REIT if you keep it in a retirement account than if you keep it in a taxable account. And so that's a really good place, particularly for um, a Roth IRA or traditional IRA to put REITs in it. It's also more hands-off than dealing with real estate, right? Like you're not necessarily going to get that double or triple you might get with a house flip, but you also don't have to deal with contractors or burst pipes or tenants, right? It's a simple way to build in some real estate. And so I think it's a good option for a little bit of diversification. It doesn't necessarily need to be a big part of your portfolio. Most people would look at it as like an alternative investment. I'm doing air quotes because Lauren can see me and then I'm assuming you guys can see me. <laughs> they consider it an alternative investment. So we're talking anywhere between like 5 and 15% of your portfolio. Not a huge part, but just enough to add a little bit of diversity. So Christy, if um, real estate is kind of a long-term thing for you, I would consider REITs. That's a good option. One thing to keep in mind, though, last thing, I promise, is that it's volatile, just like the stock market. And so if you're trying to save money to eventually buy your own real estate property within the metro D.C. area, I might not put it in a REIT if you're going to need that money in the next five or six years because it can be just as volatile as the stock market, which means you could wake up in that value that you put away to save for your own individual real estate property in D.C., the value could have fallen 25, 30%, and that might be a bit of a hit. So if you're really trying to save to invest in DC, I'd more consider a high-yield savings account, put that money away to buy your own asset. If you're saying, I don't want to deal with real estate in DC, it's too expensive, consider a REIT. Interesting. <laughs> We've gotten into some complex stuff today. I'm kind we of really having, I'm having fun. Hopefully we're not completely overwhelming everyone who's listening to us. I'm understanding, so there's a good chance that other people are. <laughs> this is why we do this together, Lauren, so that I don't go too far down like a rabbit hole. I can actually watch your face as I'm talking and be like, too far, too far, I'm going too far. <laughs> like, psh, psh. <laughs> <laughs> What's our next question? All right. For another real estate question, we have one from Samantha. I've sold two homes in the last year and made a bit of money. I'm staying with my parents and will start looking in the spring because the market where I live is crazy right now. I'm hoping it will change or I'm going to have to try and build. I'm wondering what are some other options besides just sitting on my savings account to earn some money on my money? I would like to see it grow, so maybe just maybe I might be able to afford to build. I'm willing to take some risks, but I'm nervous about losing a ton of money. Okay, Samantha, two houses in the last year you were sitting on cash, which is always one of those things that makes us all a little bit antsy of what are we going to do with this cash? Oh, yeah. And so first off, let's make note, you do not owe capital gains on your primary residence if you sell a house and you make a gain. You might owe it on a second property. So if one of the houses that you sold is not your primary residence, pay attention to what the gains were on that because you might owe taxes on it next year. So either talk to an accountant or just make sure you're paying attention to that so you don't get hit by an, un, a surprise tax bill. Now, for what to do with that money? I know that you want to earn money on that money. Like It's really hard to sit on big balances and only be earning 1.2% or whatever the quote unquote high yield savings accounts are offering you right now. 
The thing is that your goal is not too far off for spring. So we're talking six, eight months, and that's not at all a long investment time horizon. So we would never tell you to invest in the stock market if your time horizon is less than four to six years. Bonds are fairly similar. You could do a slightly shorter time frame with them, but I'd still kind of keep it out in a high yield savings account. And I think if I woke up tomorrow and all that money that I got from selling these two houses was down 30%, would I be okay with that? And it sounds like if you're nervous about losing a ton of money, you're not ready for that. And so even though it seems like you're not optimizing, even though it seems like you should be able to earn more money on your money, I would just leave it in a high yield savings account, especially because some people might tell you to consider like a certificate of deposit, a CD, but you're only talking about a six to eight month range, which isn't long enough to get much higher returns than you would get in a high yield savings account anyway. It might actually be exactly the same (laughs) at the current interest rate levels. And so that's a place where you're locking up your money when you might not need to. I mean, like with a CD, you could get a six month CD and maybe you earn 1.3% instead of 1.2%. But then if it's February and the perfect house for you, Samantha, comes on the market and you fall in love with it, You have to pay a fee to get your money out of a CD where you wouldn't have to do that with a high yield savings account. So I would just sit on a high yield savings account at this point um, and know that you're actually making the best choice for your money. I am glad that you mentioned CDs because that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Like, can't you choose like short term frames with a CD? But when you lay out the actual comparison that way, it makes a lot more sense. CDs can be good. I think in such a low interest rate environment, we're not actually, we're just not actually picking up that much Mm -hmm. and we're giving up flexibility and to pick up pennies. It just doesn't make sense. And that is what would happen to me. It would be February and I'd be like, (laughs) it's my dream house. (laughs) And you're not talking about necessarily a huge fee. It's like you have to pay back some of the interest usually. It's not like they're going to charge you thousands of dollars, but you're giving up more than that 0.1% that you picked up. So you end up net negative anyway. It just just doesn't make sense. But Samantha, I hope you find a good house. I know when the real estate market is crazy, especially like it is with COVID right now, it's really hard to watch houses go off the market really quickly. I would say that last piece of advice we talked about, we had an episode recently about advice for first-time homeowners. You're clearly not a first-time homeowner. But what we talked about in that episode was don't get caught up in the hustle and the rush and wait for the house that is right for you, even if that means you have to build in your situation. Don't let people rush you into a big, big financial decision. Such sound advice, Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) I have our very last question. It is actually about the Mom's Talk Money Summit. From Josie, there is so much content at the summit and I'm trying to figure out how to make the best of it. Any comments? I started with the quiz, but I could use any extra advice. I don't want to end up with lots of motivation and ideas and then not take action because I can't prioritize. Oh man, that's like the story of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And such a good question. This came up so often in last year's summit. Okay, so mamas, if you don't have your ticket to the summit yet, It's October 12th through the 16th. You can get your free pass and there are over 35 sessions that week, okay? So there's gonna be trainings, there's gonna be live panels, there's gonna be Q&As with sponsors that are gonna come and teach about their specific things that they do, things like budgeting and life insurance. We're gonna have nightly Q&A sessions with me, right? It's so much content. We have a ton of fun. We all come and party together. But the last thing that I want you to do is get to the end of that week, like Josie's saying, and be like, I learned so much back to my normal life. (laughs) Okay. Like we want you to actually be able to take action and change things. So 
Josie mentioned the quiz. That's step one. Josie, you did the right thing on the step one. So we have a quiz. Once you get your free ticket, it's three questions. It can take you less than 30 seconds to fill it out. When you take that quiz, it'll narrow down the four or five sessions you should. we most recommend you watch for where you are in your financial journey and what your family structure looks like, okay? So narrow down to those four or five. Look at those sessions. And what I would recommend, Josie, is that you pick three or four total sessions, that those are your priorities. These are what you most are interested in, you most want to learn. And for those three or four sessions, you block the time on your calendar. You come at the time for that session so that you can actually talk to the speaker in chat. You can ask your questions, follow up, and you're sitting at your computer so you can take notes, so you can absorb the information you can learn. Every single session comes with a worksheet. This is just with a free pass, not with the all access, but with the free pass, you get a worksheet. That worksheet will have a couple of questions related to that session that helps you take action, that takes what you learned in that session and apply it to your life. So for those three or four, you mark Josie, you're going to have it on your calendar. You're going to show up at that time, chat with the speaker, and then do the worksheet. For the rest of the sessions, come watch, come hang out. But I want you to put on your entertainment hat, right? You're here watching Netflix, enjoying laughing with the speakers and learning with the speakers, maybe chatting with your friends in your new mom friends in chat, but you are not trying to implement. You are telling yourself, I am here to just kind of marinate in this language, in this energy, in this abundance mindset around money, but I'm not ready for it yet. My goal is these three or four sessions. So you're going to, at the end of that week, you're going to look at your worksheets for those three or four sessions, and you're going to decide what you're going to do, and you're going to make some changes. Now, maybe you upgraded to the 30-day pass or the lifetime pass, and you can revisit sessions. And so for some people, I think a really great thing is to say, hey, this session looks really interesting to me. And so I have the lifetime pass. When I have done the things that I laid out in my worksheet for the session that I had to watch that I really know is important to me, one of my rewards can be to go back and watch that session with a more learning, actionable hat on. But do not try to implement 35 sessions. Do not try to absorb 35 sessions. Your goal is to just pick a couple that are you're super focused on and the rest of them you're just enjoying. This is such good advice, Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) You are just full of it today. Apparently. This is so much. And I think that for so many of us who don't get to talk about money that often, maybe you've been listening to the podcast for a while, maybe you came to last year's summit, but still 40 plus hours talking about money in one week, it's overwhelming for anybody. And so you have to just figure out what are you most looking to learn and focus on that The rest of it, it's going to be valuable. You'll pick up nuggets. And maybe when you're ready for those sessions and you go back and watch them or you listen to something on the podcast that's similar, you can better pick up what those action steps are because you've kind of heard it before. You've, you know, picked it up by osmosis, but you haven't tried to do it. That makes a lot of sense. And that kind of ties back to something that we were talking about earlier in the episode, which is... If you focus on, you know, three or four things that you actually really want to do and implement in your life and not try to absorb 35 sessions, you have a little time to have some fun. The actual talking about money happens a lot in the chat for the session, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it happens after in the Facebook group. And that is where a lot of people start to get comfortable, like sharing stories. And when that happens, everybody gets excited. 
someone started going through their freezer last year, like right after Aaron Chase's talk. And she's like, I saved $700. I forget who that was. But then like 20 people saw that post and they were just like, wait, wait, like she did it just now. And they all went and did the same thing. And that kind of group mentality and inspiration and motivation, like you want to have time for that. It really Mm. does help you. Absolutely. I totally agree. Plus, then you can come to pajama parties. Guys, the team is super trying to order me fun pajamas. So you don't want to miss the pajama parties because I will probably (laughs) be dressed like a fool answering money questions and doing so many giveaways. We have so many giveaways this year. Over $10,000. We are trying really hard to get her into something ridiculous to give away all these prizes. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. I know it's just going to show up at my doorstep. (laughs) put it on. So that'll be a ton of fun. I hope to see everybody at the summit October 12th through 16th. Lauren, thanks for joining me for another awesome month of Q&A. Of course. I can't wait to do the next one. As we mentioned at the top of the show, mamas, feel free to send me your questions anytime via our voicemail at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail, social media, or our Mamas Talk Money free Facebook group, which is also will be will be hanging out during the summit. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your mom friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money, mama. I'll see you next time. <laughs>